But there's 12 chapters in this, uh, in this book of Ecclesiastes. And, you know, um, Anthony said it's his worst book. He doesn't like to preach out of it. It's my favorite book. It's one of, should I say, one of my favorite books. And I really believe that out of the whole book, the author, Solomon, really puts an emphasis on our need for the fear and the love of God in us. We need to have God. He goes through wisdom. He goes through pleasures. He goes through hardships. He goes through marital stuff. He goes through everything. But in all of it, our greatest purpose is to find God. He had everything a man could want and more. He even gave himself over to the pleasures of life. He tried the drinks. He tried the woman. He tried um, building great mansions. He tried all of them. And then he turned his mind to wisdom. And even that was folly. Everything that he found under the sun. And Anthony pointed out a great thing. Everything under the sun in terms of the world. Everything in the world is meaningless. But we find meaning and we find purpose beyond that in our God. That we learn to fear. When we come to know God, He doesn't make you scared of Him immediately. But there is a healthy fear of God. And we've become a very lawless society. Am I right? How many of you stop at stop signs? How many of you pay your e-tolls? Okay, so we strike out already. So we've become a pretty lawless nation. And the word's very clear that we should honor the government. Oh no, but they're stealing. But did God put them there? We know it's true. We can't go against authority. But the more we, we become a lawless society, the more we cannot expect to have a great reverence for our God. Because when we revere God and we fear God and we know God and He becomes alive inside of us, He comes to dwell inside of us, we become a new creation. Am I right? So I'm going to go through quite a few things, but in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, is quite interesting. He goes back to his wisdom or his proverbs. He comes up with a few statements. And there's a couple of wisdom statements that he comes out with. In fact, most of it, if you had to go through all of them and you had to learn them, you would come out better off. Am I right? Because everything that he said was great. And I'm going to share a few of them that I pulled out. And I'd like you to go and read chapter 7. If you had to read chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, you'd be a pretty wise person to learn those things. You'd be wise to heed that wisdom scripture. Am I right? Now, I met with a guy about three years ago. We went and met at the Mug and Bean. And this man was, had everything together. And amazing. You know when you sit with someone and you can just see a successful person. Well, you know, all of the outward appearance of a successful person. Am I right? Now, I have meetings with people all the time. So you won't know who it is, and you don't need to. So anyway, we sit down, and there's his keys that he puts down over there, and his wallet, everything neat, and a nice camel jacket on, and he's like really smart, not Brackpan. I kind of hang there, put my keys down, and my gets. And I'm like, chilled out. And uh, I get to know this guy, and he tells me about seven principles that he lives by. You know, seven great things that he um, has modeled his life around and kind of... And you know, immediately my heart was like, yes, these are the values that I live out from deep inside. So I could resonate with him. I didn't know them in order. You know, when someone knows them in order, it's dangerous. Because then you know that that's kind of here, but is it here? Do you know what I mean? When it becomes part of your DNA, what happens is when it's tested, you don't lose it. And so I got to know this person and over a period of time. And the more this person was tested in those seven principles, it's amazing when you blab out those seven things you live by, you tested in those seven things that you live by to the core, to the very bottom you can get put to, to test whether those things are real. Because it says, the word says, you'll test it to the flames. What we build, you'll test to the flames. And what comes out on the other side is actually what we've got. That's the real stuff. And so this person over the next couple of years just started to, just, I realized that this wasn't part of this person's DNA. And so, 
What's so important, friends, is that wisdom scripture is great for us when it's not just here. And this is what Solomon's trying to say throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. We can't follow God up here. We can't get wise up here and not become spiritually wise that it comes into our hearts and it, it radiates out as great wisdom. And it, and it actually it builds the nation. It builds people up. And when it's tested, it doesn't fall away. Because if it's head knowledge, the first thing that's going to go away is when you find something else more logical. Am I right? Okay, I'm going to get to something very interesting coming up. I'm going to take out just three basic things that I found in here. And then I'm going to go into some of the actual core of what we're going to learn from this passage of Scripture. But just three very interesting things. If you go and read at home, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, you're going to find out three different ones that you find to be the main wisdom Scripture that you'd like to just take as a little handle for you. They won't necessarily become your DNA because that can't sustain you. Actually, only God in us can sustain us. The grace of God in us, over us, His mercy, His grace, that carries us and it helps us to say no to sin and all of that. But in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, A good name is better than precious ointment. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? You know why? Because when you go and work a job, let me just say this to you young people, even if you are not very good at what you do, if you are trustworthy... If you do things excellently and you bring great joy to those that you're working with and you're not moaning about everything and saying about how tough it is here and how things can't work over here and you just bring life to your job. Say you in the next six months are retrenched. God forbid. You know, when we got married, I had a job for exactly three months before I lost it. It was scary being married for three months and being without a job for a month. I have never prayed so hard in my life, but I also knew that I had honored everybody in my work leading up to it. I'd worked in a church full time. I'd worked in a, um, you know, for this, for this man uh, in his air conditioning company. I was trying to patch up his marriage, and we would actually not do much work. We'd try and follow his wife around to see where, whether his wife was messing around. It wasn't much of a job. I was more of a spy. And so I wasn't a very good spy, so I lost that job. And I said to him, but you know what? The phone is not going to ring. You need to go and find business. And he would trust that God would bring business his way. My goodness, that's a stupid faith. That doesn't work. You've got to go and work. You've got to go and get the sales, etc. So to cut a long story short, I had a good name. And so when I went for interviews, I, at the end of that month, could choose between about four or five jobs. I'd got all of them. And you know what? Every time I've worked in a situation, I have made sure that this is true of me. And I'm not boasting of myself. I worked very hard. And when I worked into um, the, the company as an external salesperson, in fact, before that, let's go to the internal sales job. It was quite interesting. I was learning bearings and seals, and I had this thick manual about this thick. So I had to learn this book. But you know what I did? They didn't say I had to learn it. So in my breaks, I'd have my Bible open. And so the MD comes past the one day, or the GM or whatever it was, I don't know. He's like, that is not necessary to read here. Why don't you take your manual and read and learn about your bearings? So with a bad attitude, I would have said, you know what, you actually need Jesus. Maybe you should read this and get saved, and maybe you'd become a nicer boss. I didn't say that. I was like, yeah, sure, sir, no problem put the Bible aside, close it, leave it on my desk. Everyone sees it because I lived radically for Jesus. And so I start reading and I start learning this manual and it was not difficult because God gives you wisdom. He gives you, and I never was tested in it or anything. I just, God has a way of looking after you. And you know what? There was a couple that was having an affair in this company and there was another couple that had got a divorce and, and he had married this young girl of 21 and I was 23 and it was just weird and somehow he broke his neck the one night. I don't know what he was doing. Um, and anyway, in bed. I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened, but um, he was married to a very young girl. So, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know what they were doing. It wasn't healthy. <laughs> but I mean, I had an opportunity to share with so many, <laughs> with so many people. Do not awaken love before it so desires. <laughs> yeah, what is that? 
<laughs> no, I'm still waiting. <laughs> okay, so the second thing is, so we need to have a great name. So when the poop at the fan in that company, people would come to me. And I had such a reputation because I loved Jesus so much. I'd come out of a full-time work um, in the ministry and, and I had a good name living there. And then I went into an external sales job and uh, I used to fight with the managers there. When I'd made my targets, I'd say, you know what, I'm in, I'm in uh, near where my house is. I'm going to go home. And they'd say, no, you've got to come back to the office. Why do I have to come back to the office? So I wasn't a bit rebellious from time to time. But I built up a reputation and I always made my targets and all of these things. And I'm not boasting, but when you actually in Christ, you get a great name and God gives you great wisdom. Hello, my boy. You look green. So, the, in verse 2, it's interesting, it says, uh, sorry, the second one in verse 15. Verse 15, it says here, I have seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. I want to say to you, even if you're a very good person, you could still die young. Okay? If you're a very ugly and horrible person, it doesn't mean you're going to die young and be unhappy and have warts all over you. Although we wish that. Someone once said, why do all the ugly people live the longest? <laughs> That's the truth. They're horrible, they're ugly, they step all over people, they get to like 105, and this very nice person gets cancer and dies. It's just not fair. But if we base our relationship on God based on those performance things that if I do this, if I do that, if I honor my mom, if I do that, this, this, and this, I'm live a long life, and then you die, that's disappointing, isn't it? Or if you believe that and someone else next to you dies young, and someone, so we need to understand that that doesn't prove that we're close to God. Okay? A long life can happen whether you're ugly or whether you are nice. Okay? So that stuck out for me. Then the third one is in verse 21. This is a wonderful one. If you want to just read. I really do hope you have your Bibles here. I'm just hoping they're on your phone at least. So, well done, Anthony. Huh? Have your Bible here. That's very good. Um, do you know where Ecclesiastes is, Ozo? I'm just kidding. I'm going to get it afterwards. Okay, so, verse 21, it says, Also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also, your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Friends, when you lead, you can't listen to every voice of every person in the church. You will die. You will die. Someone once said, if only 10% of your church is unhappy with you after the church, you're not preaching strong enough. Hello? If, you, if only 10% are unhappy with me, you're not preaching the truth. If 70% of your church is unhappy with you, you need to tone it down just a little bit. So which are you going to be today? So I want to just... These are just little takeaway points. But are these takeaway points going to be our life? Is that what's going to keep us? These three little verses, are they going to keep us? Because like this man that I'm telling you about, he made these things his main thing at the expense of his relationship with Jesus. And that's why he couldn't sustain those things when the hardships came. Why does Jesus talk about the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand? Because they both get tested with Hurricane Irma. Okay? Okay, that wasn't funny. They get tested. <laughs> Do I... <laughs> okay, they get tested with Hurricane Harvey, if you don't know. Or whatever it might be, they get tested. Even like hurricanes that come in the physical, they come in the spiritual as well. Friends, I don't know what your theology is, but I believe that God tests what's inside of our hearts. He allows those things. I'm not saying He brings disaster our way, but He wants to see the love that we have for Him in those hardships. Why? He tested so many people in the Old Testament. Why does He not test us anymore? Was God not the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? God can and He will. And there's some things I really want to pick out this morning and pick on a little bit 
if you guys will hear me. Are you guys are still happy? Hey? I'll see how happy we are at the end of the meeting. Maybe a 50% unhappy. Hey? Maybe you'll still like me afterwards. I was going to say something else, but I don't think I should. Um, okay. I'm feeling very excited this morning. So, in verse 16 is, I believe, a handle, and I believe this is the start of the core of what we're wanting to learn today out of this passage of Scripture. In verse 16, go there with me for a moment. I've got the New King James Version. Uh, you might have the NIV or whatever it is, the ESV. Do not be overly righteous, nor be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Interesting one coming from Solomon, hey? Do not be overly wicked. Well, duh, you know. Let's not be wicked at all, but especially overly so. Nor be foolish. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp this and also remove your hand and not remove your hand from another. For he who fears God, this is the key here of the entire scripture. If you remember anything, for he who fears God will escape them all. Why does he say that we shouldn't be overly righteous or overly wise or overly foolish? What's quite interesting, friends, is the minute it's not real or the minute it's not based in a balance with Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, it becomes an extreme. What do you think extremists are? Extremists are people that haven't been listened to with their point, their stomping feet point. So they stomp even louder on one point, and they become more and more radical because there's no results. So we become more and more pointed. A person or a man who preaches on one subject is an extremist. I would not follow a man that doesn't preach the whole counsel of God. Never follow someone who has a pet... Um, what do you call it? Or a, like, a, like a main thing that they preach on, like end times. I only preach end times. Do not follow him. I only preach the grace of God. Don't follow him. Friends, you know what? He's a very famous preacher. And you know, every time someone's going to about to leave the church, I'm not saying that happens often. It shouldn't. But when someone's going to leave the church, they listen to this one preacher. And this preacher convinces them. I'm not saying that the preacher is wrong. In his context where he's preaching, it's right. Because he's got a certain type of congregation. And they need to learn that certain point. So the danger comes in is when we're listening to every wind of doctrine and teaching that's out there, rather than where your spiritual home is, where you believe that God is giving you a man and a team of preachers that preach the whole counsel of God. Friends, I realize, do you realize that in a church, I have an understanding now that I'm not the only voice in your life. That's the truth. You have 10 to 15 other voices in your life other than the ones in your head. <laughs> not those ones. Those ones are not cool. I'm talking about the preaching voices on the TBNs and all of these other places. You can laugh, friends. It's okay. It's just a joke. And all of these other voices, we just actually a voice in someone's life. And I just hope that we understand in the church, friends, that this should be the primary voice. Because we as a community are going through something. We're going through, we're living in a context. We're living in a certain thing. So the vision and direction, this purpose series is to help us understand that it's about God and our relationship with Him rather than striving after the things of this world and the, the wisdom, the finances, the this, the that, all of those things, they cannot sustain you. He learned this in his old age. He had tried it all. So let's rather learn from his mistake rather than fall into the same trap. Am I right? Amen. Okay. All right, so we get the extremes. Have you heard the, the Afrikaans saying, t? Yeah, this net t. T feel. T min. T stark. You know? You know that word t? Yeah, it's big t. That's what happens when we're actually living in a life of extremes. 
There's no balance in our life. There's no full counsel of God. There's no leadership in your life. There's no accountability. We become extremely righteous. That means we become self-righteous. When we become too righteous and no one else can be at your level, you are a freak. You are a freak. I've had this revelation that no one else has. Sounds a bit like Gnosticism, you know? Like we've had this higher revelation and that's why we are born again and you are not. Because we have been enlightened with the truth and you haven't got there. That's just weird. And that's what happens when we actually step away from the grace of God. We step out of line. We step away from that great covering called the body of Christ. And we step away and we become isolated and we become extremists strapping bombs to ourselves and doing stupid things or making people drink poison. Because they won't listen. So let's spray doom in their faces. I mean, really? That's an extremist. Because, you know what? I'd love to give every person a hiding as they walk out of here that aren't tithing. Literally, I'd get the biggest whoop I could find and whip you going out. Does that help? Maybe with some of you it would. It's not about the bucks, friends. It's actually about whatever is a is a hurt in us, we can tend to become extreme on the opposite direction. And that's when we fall into this trap of extremes. And this is what he's trying to say here. At the end of here, he says, he who fears God will escape them all. Friends, what does it mean? What does it mean to fear God? Friends, when you fear something, I, I read it up and I just I found it was quite interesting. The Greek word for that is, sorry, the Hebrew word for that is yore, which means reverent or, and afraid. Reverent, how is that? How can you put the two together? So, reverent. So then I looked in the, in the dictionary about reverent. It means that you have a respect for that person, Right? Friends, I see a lot of people that pray like this. Whenever you go to meetings, it's like, come, let's pray. Yes, let's pray. And we pray. Thank you, Lord. Submit to you. Then you, this same person walks away and goes and curses his staff, goes and kicks his dog, and goes and beats his wife, and all of these things. But there's a reverence to the Lord. That is religion, friends. And you know what this town is full of? Religion where we have a reverence for God, but no relationship with Him, and therefore, that means on top, on the outside, we blink and we shine and we look good and we come to church. Have you not seen those churches where everybody comes in and they got their latest suit on? Woo! It's, it's an opportunity to, to, wear your, to wear your little, um, what, what is that little um, tag on the outside of your, uh, of your um, sleeve? You know, like your, your suit name or whatever it might be. Hey? For, for those of us that wear those and they have a little tag on the outside. <laughs> Look at the name, you know. And yet you can see it's dead. There's no life in that person. There's this fashion statement or whatever it might be. And you're allowed to just go and be. As long as when you come into the house of God, you're reverent. Friends, that is a disease. That is what will keep this town in bondage, and that is why we have to go out from here, and we need to make sure that we are not those people that are reverent to God, but not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I know this sounds like a basic teaching, but I'm going to get to one or two things still. You know... I just want to go back to this thing about um, when we're going to the extremes. How do we know when we're starting to force things a little bit? When we're starting to get extreme? How do we know? There's a couple of things here. There's three things when we're easily angered. When we're easily angered, it means that we've gone extreme. We've become extremists. Have you seen? There's no terrorist that's like, I'm just such a nice guy. He's like, I want to kill you. You die. You know what I'm saying? There's anger, there's frustration, there's emotion, there's, it's charged with venom. You will all die. Do you know what I'm saying? They get that like twitch in their eyes and they just look like they, they're about to do something radical. 
When you get easily angered, it means that we've gone over the edge. It means that we've gone extreme. The second thing is when there's disparity, when there's a despair, when there's fear. It's, you're gripped with despair. That's when you've gone extreme, friends. Because when we follow Jesus, we are settled. We know when we go to him. You know, Josiah, um, he's talking and negotiating with me because you've got a certain amount of stars on his charts, and now he's getting 50 bucks. Okay? So we're discussing this 50 rand. He says, what can I buy with 50 rand? So we're going through everything he wants to know, whether he can buy a car for that and for this. And anyway, he's trying to find the value of what this 50 rand is. So I said, you know what? You, should, you need to give to the Lord. I was like, why? I said, well, because some of that money is not yours. I said, actually, why don't you invest with the Lord? Give it all to him. What? Are you nuts? It gives me that, like, are you sick in your mind? And then I thought to myself, you know, how many of us actually invest in the Lord and be willing to see the rewards from that? Because we don't re- invest in the Lord with money. We actually only, we, we, we invest in the Lord with our time, our family, our finance, everything. When we're actually truly investing in God, there's no disparity. Because we then put it in His hands to look after us. And there's actually nothing else we can do. And the third thing is when we focus on the dot on the page rather than the whole white section around it. When we start focusing on the one negative thing, we've gone into a a forced or an extremist mentality. When we've gone out of grace, we've gone away from the, the middle of the pendulum swing, and we've gone a radical extreme is when we get into that place. What causes an extremist mentality? So I'll get back to my main point just now. What causes an extremist mentality? Number one, specialist thinking. When we start becoming specialists in one area. And you know what normally happens? My mom used to say, that guy's an I specialist. You know, everything's about me, I. You know what I achieved? I. My mom used to say, oh, there's another I specialist. And it's the truth, isn't it? When you start becoming a specialist in something, when all you can talk about... So I had this one... We went on this one mission trip. And the guy that was there, he says to me, do you know what was on the left-hand side as you walked into the temple that was in Ezekiel or whatever it was? I'm like, no. And he would tell me, do you know what was just ahead and what those um, candles meant? And he was like, he was asking us and almost belittling us because we didn't know every one of these things that he had radically studied for the last four years or whatever it was. That's when you start... That's when you start the specialist thinking, friends. You need to be careful of that. How do we become extremist in our mentality? How do we know when we're doing it? When we start lowering the value of our neighbor below your belief. Hello? Someone once said, it's not more important to be right, right, but more important to be righteous. Friends, when there's an argument or something, you don't have to argue our beliefs. You have to honor your neighbor. Love Jesus and love your neighbor. Amen? So when we start putting people under our beliefs, in a sense of you must do this, you must do that, you mustn't do this, all of those things, you start not loving your neighbor, and those things become dead works. Those things become dead to that person that you're preaching to. Isn't that amazing? And then the third thing is self-righteousness. Obviously, we know what that is. The fourth thing is separation from God and His bride. What causes extremist mentality when we separate from God or from His people? Because God says that we need to be together. Amen? Okay, so the fear of God will help us to avoid this problem. The fear of God. So that, that word means yore, which means reverent. I believe what reverent means is that you subserve yourself or you submit yourself to that one person's will or, the, or God's will. Friends, are we building a society of people who have soft words before God but deny it in what they do? Friends, there's nothing more nauseating to me than when I see someone come into a prayer meeting and start talking like a different person. Hallelujah, Jesus. And then you say to them after, hey, how's it going? Yeah, cool, buddy. Lekker, Chana. Cool. Jesus. There's nothing more nauseating because that is not you. You are not reverent and it doesn't bring more power for the hour. Come on, guys. It's 
it's nauseating. Let's just rather be real, man. But let's show our reverence in how we obey God. Amen? So, in the dictionary says, speaks about paying respect. It's so sad that we pay God respect, but for some reason we end up doing all the things that disrespect Him. Friends, a man who respects God is not the way that he speaks in front of everyone else trying to get favor, but it's when no one's around and how much we revere God when it's just our family or our wife and our kids around. That's the real you. And I just want to, I would love to be a fly on the wall of all of those extremists that are just, their poops don't stink. Honestly. Honestly, it's like literally their breath doesn't smell. And let me tell you, those are the people that fall in the very next week. Let me tell you, the more you put other people down because of your great revelation, I remember going to a meeting and this guy was preaching repentance. Repent, you sinners. So this one poor woman walks in and she's got a skirt literally down to her knees. She says, cover her up now. <laughs> yes. This poor woman's like, what? She's freaking out and they just dive over her with a blanket, you know, to cover her shame and her nakedness, you know. And this woman was totally blown out of water. In that moment, I realized that this man cannot be followed. This man will just literally kill people with religion and doctrine. Friends, this is happening. And then they get made to wear sackcloth. Literally, they've got little holes in the sackcloth and they're running around and, and they're in sackcloth and ashes. You know? You don't have to literally put sackcloth and ashes on to be reverent before the Lord. You know what I'm saying? I think there's so much religion in, in what we do, friends. There's so much, you know, we, we reverent before God, but, but really that doesn't change us. We reverent to God when we submit ourselves to Him and we walk with Him and we love God's people. Regardless of whether they're sinning around us or not or whether they're listening to our advice or not or whether they're tithing or not or whether they're um, getting divorced or not or rem- whatever. Friends, the truth is that we need to be reverent to God and, and He is holy. Therefore, we need to be holy. So, what is the reason for us? Perhaps the answer for us is in the last verse. Let's go to the last verse of this. Why is this? Why, why do we get like this? What is the, I think he gives us a very clear answer in verse 29. It says, Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Okay. The New Living Translation says this, but I, I did find this. God created people virtuous, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. Friends, I'm going to bring a couple of scenarios because I'm not allowed to talk on money because that's bad. Um, I'm not allowed to talk on, on uh, things that show that we're not doing all that well or Maybe I'm not allowed to do a lot of things, but if I say to you right now, I want you to empty your wallets of everything you've got and bring me an offering. Immediately, you are thinking, footsack. <laughs> eh? Am I right? Yeah. Maybe not those words, but others. Go away, you naughty boy. Um, but you know what the funny thing is? We react against something bad. But the problem is, when God calls us to live a life of faith and to trust Him in these areas, we immediately run after another scheme that comes into our mind. We immediately make a logical excuse why we're not going to do this. Like what Anthony said last week or whenever it was, the week before. He said, Kurt's having a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. And right now you're making every excuse of why you cannot make that meeting. Is that the truth? Am I right? Do we not do this as people when God calls us to something that's challenging? When God calls us to something that is going to cost us? When God calls us to this walk with Jesus? We don't often respond in obedience immediately, but we respond in an excuse. And this is exactly what he's pointing out. One of the greatest 
failures of man is that we run after an extreme or we actually we turn away because our logic makes more sense. We make a reason why we can't do the will of God. Am I right, guys? We make a reason why we can't go on that diet. We make a reason why we can't go for a run in the morning or whatever it might be. We make a reason why we don't tithe because we do not like to listen to God. We make a reason why we, we're going to get our divorce. Hello? I'm hitting some of these things that are, are maybe some holy cows in our lives. Am I right? We make every reason not to listen to the counsel of God and then suddenly we see ourselves as religious extremists. Because true grace and true living under the will of God is a sweet place. And it's a place where you're not in control. And it's a place where you surrender to God. And it's a place where Jesus is Lord of your life. And you don't make excuses not to do His will. We make every reason why we should obey the will of God. Amen? So, the New Living Translation in Genesis chapter 1 says this, So God created human beings in His own image, and in the image of God He created them, male and female. So God made us upright. We were made in the image of God, so therefore we have an ability to obey. Am I right? Because God created us as a representative. That word means a representative. We are living representatives of God Himself. And yet somehow most of us fall into the place where we make an excuse not to do the will of God. Am I right? We naturally do it. Because we don't want resistance. And here are some super fears. This is the reason why. We default immediately to counter and, and find a more logical solution. These are the reasons, three fears that I want to share with you today. Three what I call super fears. Okay? Will you remember, Hannes? I'm going to test you afterwards, Bill. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just keeping him awake. So, super fears are these. We have a super fear of the supernatural. We are nervous of seeing the supernatural take place. When someone lays hands on you, if you're going to freak out and fall down, if someone's going to have a demon come out of them, we don't want to see that. No, no, no. We just take pills for that. It's called depression. It's called epilepsy. It's called all of these other things. I mean, a lot of the time they are sicknesses. But honestly, there's a lot of people that run around with some pretty bad stuff. But it will never come out over here because we're scared of the supernatural. We're scared, and therefore, a fear becomes something that we avoid, and it's something that we just don't see the supernatural take place in the life of the body. Am I right? I'm talking about breakthroughs in your finances, breakthrough in your marriages, breakthrough in the area of healing. Why do we not see it? Because we've become a generation that doesn't like to listen to God. When we're not obedient to God, there are consequences, friends. When we're not obedient to the will of God, we cannot see the supernatural move in our lives. So we immediately, we, we, we're fearful of letting go. Okay, the second super fear is this. What is the next super fear that stops us? And we default to our logical solutions. The second one is this. We have a super fear in, of relinquishing control to God. We have a super fear of not being in control. Amen? Am I right? We want to be in control of everything. We want to know that we are able to get ourselves out of trouble. We are able to do this or make our own decisions about that and all of these things because the world has had oppressive leadership over us. Am I right? So we have become super fearful of leadership. But friends, without leadership and structure in the body of Christ, we will not become obedient believers. Amen? We need to get over the fear of bad leadership of our government, of the past, or whatever it might be, and allow God to lead us in the area of obedience. Amen? So let's not be fearful of leadership and relinquishing control. See, the truth is, I have an easy job in this church because people don't come and ask me before they make decisions. <laughs> so it's easy. I don't have a lot of work to do in the day. I don't have people coming and crying on my couch every day. I'm not a shrink. But I am a bit nervous that not many people are coming to ask about financial decisions, marital decisions, divorce decisions, counseling decisions. Why, friends? Because we don't trust the leaders. Hello? 
Do you trust me? Do you trust this team? Carl, how many people have asked you for help this week to come and sort out issues, help make decisions? Uh, how many? Tidy? None. Okay, make it two weeks. Or one, maybe. It's interesting, friends. And yet we're making decisions every day. We need to not be fearful of leadership in our lives. The third super fear that we have is not having provision. Hey, that's a tough one. You know what? I'm definitely not giving that away. Not because I won't have anything for me. Am I right? When God says something, He never, well, very seldom says, this is, this is the bank balance you'll have next week. I promise you. Here it is in writing, in black and white. He says, do this. And He tests our heart of obedience in that moment. Did I, did I tell you that story about when I got a payout from SARS and we were doing a building fund? So SARS pays me out. I've said it before maybe once or twice, but I wanted you to get this thing. So about 13 grand gets paid into my account. God clearly says to me, give it all to the building fund. I'm like, I will give you a double tithe, Lord. I will double my tithe, and I will get my washing machine, and I will get my this and that. And so I did that, and SARS comes back like two months later and says, ah, sorry, we made a mistake. You need to give it all back. I was like, Eesh. but Lord, I tithe, but I wasn't obedient. Truth is, friends, God wants our obedience. And the biggest way to slam it is to hit the area of money, to hit the area of our marriages, to hit the area of our relationships. I am going to divorce that wretched thing that you gave me. But is it something that God is calling us to? And God says, you love that person. When you gave your life, you said you'd love me. We need to be baptized into Jesus. Amen. I'm hitting some holy cows here. I'm hitting some things maybe that are not comfortable for us, but we need to get over the fear of self-provision. Friends, the very reason we dishonor one another is because we think we won't have enough for ourselves because God can't provide. Amen. No more, friends. We can't live like this. Because it is disobedient. And it means that there's a lack of fruit in our lives. And I want to get to that now. Today, many of us will hear the message and by 2 o'clock we won't remember 20% of it. Hey? I'll be buying that chop there or whatever it is. Hey, that catch on, huh? So how was the EFC, huh? It was cool, huh? Hey? <laughs> what happened, huh? Did, did you see that boxing? Did you see the, did you see the spring box, huh? You know, it's all cool. I mean, we hear these messages, but are we applying what God is saying to us? Are we taking this in? Is it convicting the heart? Is it changing us? Is it bringing us to change? Friends, we can't preach week in and week out and see no change. Someone once said, no change, no Jesus. No change, no Jesus. And I want to get to this point, and I'm going to end with this. And I know I've taken quite long. But you can bribe me, you can bribe me on the bra later. You say, yes, but he preached long, hey? Yes, yeah. She sits Brian, eh? Hey? Am I right? Yes, what's he on about, eh? Yes, just what's my back, say? Yes. It's ridiculous. It's funny. So, then. What is the difference between a man who is obedient to the Word of God and the will of God and is walking in faith from a man who is reverent to the Lord but is ruled by his schemes? What's the difference? What's the difference between a man who has confessed? I believe there's a lot of confessors of Jesus. Ooh, I said, because that Scripture says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. There's another scripture that then counters that and says, unless you're bearing fruit, there's no evidence for your salvation. We need to be, friends, I am fully convinced that it's not just an act of God that is salvation. It's when you actually respond by bearing fruit that there's evidence of salvation. If you have not baptized your wallet, if you have not baptized your phone, 
If you have not baptized your marriage, if you have not baptized your motorbike, if you have not baptized all of those things into Jesus, what is the evidence, what is the fruit that we're bearing? What is the fruit that we are bearing? Because Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20 says, O false prophets who came to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, but you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, or even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot, say that with me, cannot, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by your fruits, you will know them. I want to ask this morning, and I feel that God spoke a very, very clear and directional word to me whilst preparing this, is that there are many, many people who are confessing that they love Jesus Denying it in their lifestyle, bearing no fruit, of which I am going to say to them when they come to me one day, I did not know you. Bye-bye. But Lord, we did these things in your name. But Lord, we, provide, we did miracles in your name. He said, I did not know you, you wicked servant. Now, I'm not saying that this is fire and brimstone message, and I don't preach like this every week, and I'm not going to. Maybe I should. But I really... No, that God is saying that without the evidence of the fruit of obedience, friends, can I say that again? Without the evidence of fruit in our lives of obedience, we are not saved. I think there's a huge teaching out there that just speaks about what God does for you and you don't do anything. I'm not saying that I can lose my salvation now. I don't believe I can. But I believe in those beginning moments when you accept Jesus Christ, if you do not die in that moment to yourself, to your wallet, to your kids, to everything, if there is not literally a death that takes place and you are born again, you do not know Jesus. The disciples were disciples. Why? Because they left the boat and they followed Jesus. It was a response to God's encounter with them. I want to ask, has there been a righteous response to God in every area of your life? Or are you still holding back the areas that you think logically you need to provide for or you need to not listen to because there's a reason. Because I was hurt, I did this. Because I won't be provided for, I will hold back. Because I only do this, I won't do that. I won't go to church because all they say is this and this and this. Friends, so one, ask yourself honestly, are you a born-again believer? Are you born again? Meaning, the old has gone, the new has come. I no longer look at myself as the provider. I no longer look at the world to make me happy. I no longer skip church because I have some other better thing on. I no longer dishonor leaders in the body of Christ because I lead myself better than they can. I no longer have to submit to leaders. Friends, no fruit, no Jesus. Is that right? It's very quiet this morning, I know, but I feel like there's a whole lot that we need to repent from in the sense of we actually need to know, are we born again? Friends, Jesus was very, well, the word is very clear, the sexually immoral the idolaters, all of these people cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. There are consequences for sin. And the world is preaching a message that grace is just there for you. <laughs> Carry on. They're not saying it, but it, it's literally what's happening. If we revere God, we're afraid of Him. We're afraid of the consequences of living an eternal life in hell. You know, for the first time in a long time, I can feel the Holy Spirit coming over me and endorsing what I'm saying. You know why? Because I'm not afraid of losing anyone. 
I would rather lose you now than to lose you for eternity believing that you were just okay. I'm not, I'm not preaching this because I'm just seeing the obedience level in the life of our body, friends. Maybe half, if no, less than half are coming to home groups, friends. About a tenth to 15% of us are tithing. It's scary. Hardly any of us, maybe 5% are coming to ask us for advice on finances, on marriage, on children, on all of these things, which means that you're not submitted to the leadership of the body of Christ. It's scary. That means you do not understand the Word of God. And we need to understand that sin has serious consequences. I have never preached a preach like this in this church. Number two, honestly, be man enough to say, I have confessed Jesus, but I'm not obedient in my faith, if that's where you are at. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We've had two preachers that have come into the life of the church and they've built into the foundations. But I really feel like God is saying, is my church righteous with me? Is there true repentance? Friends, we cannot accept Jesus without a turning away from what we know to be sin. That is, not, that is a confession of Christ Jesus, but it is not being born again. Is that okay? Can we agree on that? We have to agree on it, friends. Unless you are born again, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You are not secure by your confession alone. You are secure, friends, when you are bearing the fruit of a believer. And that fruit is obedience. Those who love God obey His commands. The Word of God, friends, I'm preaching now. Number three, repentance. Unless we repent and be humble and open to God to come in and change us, we are under a huge deception. I'm not preaching this next week. Don't worry, you can't invite your friends. This is for us. May we never see the Lord, we may never see the Lord for eternity, and all because we heard lies about our salvation, that it's all God, the grace of God is just there for you, you don't have to do anything, your works won't get you to heaven. We know this. The born-again part is what God does for us, but the response is the consummation. We respond. Faith without works, the word says, is dead. It's what? A sort of alive, okay, filled with the grace of God? It is what? It's dead, friends. Oh, my goodness, who's visitors here today? Lord, help me. Number four is be accountable. Be accountable. We need to tell someone here to help me to bear some fruit. Do you understand? In other words, who are we telling about the sin in our life? Because James speaks, I think it's James that speaks very clearly about that. Unless we confess our sins to one another. Oh, I need to go to Jesus. Jesus knows my sin. The Word of God tells us we need to confess our sins one to another. So we need leadership, in other words. Am I right? Hello? I'm not seeing a whole lot of amens here today. Not a lot of amens. But I want us to understand for a moment that maybe we've confessed Jesus. Maybe there's been great confession. But has there been a response to radical obedience to the Lord? Because He's not waiting for everybody to just say, I will decide when I like to obey you, when I want to do this, or when I want to do that. He doesn't wait for anyone. God does not wait for anything. He is patient, and He is loving, and He is kind. But God could be knocking on the door tonight of your life. You know, so sad. Hannes lost his dad this week. I just want to say to you, man, my heart bleeds for you. Elise lost her dad yesterday morning. You know, the truth is we've got to know Jesus. And we have to be obedient to him. Because without obedience to the will of God, I don't see any, any way that it is real. Okay? Obedience is God's love language. Now, I'm not preaching this. This is the first time that I've really preached on 
what God does is salvation and us running after our own schemes. I want to ask you, are you running after your own plan of your finances? Are you running after your own plan in your marriage? Are you running after your own scheme in your business? Or how you submit to the life in the life of the body of Christ? Or is it according to Scripture? Because if it's not, then there needs to be a response today. Is that okay? Can we be okay with just being a little bit undone, a little bit stripped down, a little bit humbled for a moment? I'm not a shouting preacher. I don't believe I have to preach fire and brimstone every week, but I do believe when God says, people need to respond to me in obedience. And if there's no obedience, there's no evidence of our salvation, which means you make the decision. Shall we do that for a moment? I want us to close our eyes and genuinely just look to Jesus. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Father God, I pray that we would not respond in pride, that we would not not respond out of arrogance or not respond today because of our logic. Father God, we all stand before you one day alone, not with our wife, not with our pastor not with anyone else, not with our religion. We don't stand there with religion. And I want to ask for a moment. I believe that there's going to be some responses to God. And I want to just say that please can I ask you not to think about what your neighbor thinks and not to think about what I think. This is a moment of God. If we need to respond to Jesus in obedience, can I ask please, that you would just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet with me. Thank you, Nikki. You, that is a genuine response to Jesus. Thank you. If we need to respond, I'm not saying that you're born again or not. Or I'm just saying if you want to respond to Jesus out of obedience and surrender to Jesus in every area of your life, I need you to stand for Jesus. Will you for a moment? Will you? Thank you. Jesus, I'm not here to condemn these people and I'm not here to judge anyone as I have sinned. And the word says very clearly that no righteous man um, doesn't sin. It says that in this very chapter, there's no righteous person that doesn't have any sin in their life. Lord, it's not about that. I'm not here. But Lord God, I don't want confessors of Christ Jesus, but we deny it in our lifestyle. The number one cause of atheism in the world was said by, um, what is that? There was a band once that said the number one cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who profess to be Christians but deny it by their lifestyle. Father, I'm not here to say, hey, this person's born again, that person's not born again. But I want to pray right now, Lord Jesus, for repentance. I want to pray right now that we would confess our sins to you, that we would say, Lord Jesus, that I surrender everything to you. Lord Jesus, that we are not playing church. Jesus, that we are not playing a religion. We are not riding on the grace of God because we've confessed you but not decided to do anything about it. Father God, I pray right now that we would have a heart that says, I'm sorry, Lord, and I revere what you say. I am afraid of the consequences that may happen if I do not respond to you. And I pray, Father God, that you would forgive me now. Can we ask Jesus just to forgive us for a moment? Can we ask the Lord God to have mercy on us who need to be righteous before him, who need to make right with God? Father God, I know that I am born again. I know that I'm not going to lose my salvation because I know that there is fruit on my tree. I have died and I've become born again. I am sure of my salvation. But Lord Jesus... There cannot be bad fruit growing on a good tree permanently, Lord God. There has to be a change. There has to be a walk with Jesus. Father, I don't want to scare anyone, but I pray right now that if we need to... Lord, I pray that there would be a weeping and a sorrow and a mourning before you where we have hurt you. Friends, I believe that there's been some things in our lives that have hurt God. Maybe there's a relationship that you've started with someone else. Maybe there's, you've been disobedient to Jesus in your finances. Maybe you've been disobedient to Jesus with the way that you've treated your kids and you've abused them. 
Maybe you've just treated your wife so badly. Maybe our relationships just with people around us, maybe towards the government. Yes, they're not right with Jesus, but they are who God has put over us. And maybe we just become a disobedient nation. Father God, you cannot bless disobedience. And I pray, Lord God, that you would restore financial blessing over people as they confess their sins. That you would restore marital unity in people as they confess their sins. Right now, friends, just put your arm over the next person and just pray for them for a moment. You don't have to. um, But I just want you to just reach out to someone next to you. Someone who's standing up. Won't those that are seated just go and and pray over and just minister and love over people right now. And just just pour out your, your love and care over that person. Father, I pray that this church would be built up on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets who laid down their lives, who paid the price for the structure that you put in place. Lord, there's no excuse for sinning in our lives. Father God, there is grace. And yes, we do sin. And there the grace is for us to confess. And we say, sorry, Lord, but the truth is that sin has consequences. We just lose the blessings and the life of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Although he's there, that's sad. Father, I just pray this over us. And Father God, whatever point has been brought across and it's caused anger and frustration in us, then maybe we've got a problem in that area. Lord, it's not my job to point out people's sin, but it is my job, Lord Jesus, to pray over this body of Christ and to preach the truth. We pray it right now in your precious name.